Well, hi everybody, welcome. We're here with Roger Aubrey in his kitchen and we have got a great conversation for you. It's a little series we'd like you to dip in, dip out, uh, catch us online and be able to hear about one of the key things that's taking place in the life of the church that's foundational and so essential for us to grow. So Roger, welcome to our chat. Oh, thank you for having Welcome us. Welcome to my kitchen. Oh, it's a delight to be here. I even got served a cup of tea. Oh, so that's nice, isn't Eventually. it? And uh, we want to, you were going to be talking especially about Ephesians 4 ministries and those things that uh, God has placed in the church in order that we could come to maturity and completion. And Roger is here to just give us an insight. He's, we were joking earlier on about the fact that he is a, a first-hand witness to many of the things that are taking place. <laughs> Roger, not, I'm not saying you're dead old, but I'm not responsible for other ones. Oh, that's good. Just, that's a quick disclaimer, isn't it? But we thought we'd start off just by talking about the fact that there was a period where the church seemed to be getting on fine without apostles, and yet yeah. um, the church changed. Something pivotal happened, didn't it? In particular, probably. I don't know, about the 60s, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we'll talk later about uh, what God has been doing to fulfill his, his purpose in this world and his purpose for the church. And he's been doing that really ever since Adam fell. And we'll use the word restoration now, but we'll, we'll unpack that later. Yeah. But God has been um, bringing everything to the purpose that he began it all for. As far as the church is concerned, in the 20th century, yes. I haven't lived throughout the whole 20th century. Um, but what you found uh, throughout the period of the church's history, certain pivotal things have happened, where uh, the Reformation, for instance, where that brought back to the church the, the, this personal faith in Jesus, which was, it wasn't abandoned. There were always groups that had that, but it became mainstream. Yes, then you have things like, uh, the Anabaptists, the Baptists, who were talking about church structures and the nature of the church. Then coming through into the beginning of the 20th century where you see this massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, there had been groups in history who were baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues and used the gifts, but it began to go more mainstream at the beginning of the 20th century with the, the Pentecostal church. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you were to Pentecostal, you didn't never touch that. <laughs> if you weren't a Baptist, you never touched baptism. So you had all these things going on. And then, of course, uh, in, the, in the 60s, 1960s, uh, we have what is called now the charismatic renewal, when spontaneously God moves the whole thing on and you see people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit, right across the whole yes. Christian realm, from high Roman Catholics to, to brethren people. That's how the church I'm part of started. So it, it just swept across everybody. But that was more of a personal um, renewal of people. It didn't really answer the question about the nature of the church. Parallel with that, there were groups of people across the world who who were seeing what was going on, plus things that were happening in the world, like the Six-Day War, the 73 conflicts of Israel and the Arab conflicts. Men like Arthur Wallace, who began to ask um, about the end times. What, what kind of church, what kind of wineskin, what kind of structure will be able to 
hold or contain, not confine, but contain this massive move of God. So you had these two parallel things, the charismatic renewal, and you had this, what emerged then into uh, an understanding that God is doing much more than that. He was actually part of a restoration plan that he had. Uh, and that's what kicked it off. A very much a, a move away from merely a personal blessing and experience to something of a, a corporate church, actually organization structure, mm. which I guess our structure within the churches was just a fractured church with denominationalism and their own little hierarchies, organizational structures. So, yes. And that there were question marks in particular by Arthur and a number of people who were being raised up at that time, would it be? Yeah. What you find in this today is that um, oftentimes when, when God moves upon a group of people, uh, say the Baptist, my root, they realize, well, if you're born again, you, you need to be baptized in water. Yeah. Luther didn't see that. Uh, and so but what happens then, eventually, that becomes part of the tradition of that group, and they denominationalize it. And then the next one that comes along, like the Pentecostals, uh, they say, well, yeah, but there's this. And it's not exclusively so, but sometimes you find this group says, oh, no, 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 this is our tradition. Uh, and that really is the history of the denominations. They but you see it just that a truth was highlighted and not necessarily embraced by the next people are truth. William Booth comes in with a very much a social yeah, gospel. That's right. And you would hope that the whole church will pick up that, but yes. that wasn't necessarily so. Was no, it? It, it wasn't. And uh, people from my background, which is very evangelical, would look at, we like the, the Salvation Army, but they would talk about the, the social gospel almost as an inferior gospel. Yeah. Because for us, it's very much a personal relationship with Jesus getting to heaven, where Booth quite rightly saw the social conditions of poverty and yeah. said, well, we've got to do something about that. But that was also in people like William Carey, the great Baptist missionary in, in India. So it's there. But yes, you find that um, what happened when uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, and men like Arthur Wallace, who had a brethren background, but who'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit in the 50s, I think. Uh, of course, that didn't go down well. So he was very much outside of the thing, asking questions. And there were other men like Cecil Cousins who were pretty much unknown to history now. But there, at the same time, Arthur was mixing in Bible conferences with men like Bryn Jones, uh, men like Hugh Thompson, who may not be known to people today, but mm, yes. Bryn certainly is a, a very important figure uh, in the history of what you and I are in, yes. plus the church worldwide. So they began to get me together, and they began to ask the question, because um, Bryn had come from the Pentecostal Assemblies of God movement uh, background, I think. Uh, and they were looking at saying, well, what kind of wineskin with everything that God is doing? Is God doing something much bigger than just a personal charismatic renewal? There's got to be a structure that doesn't bed down and say, well, this is ours uh, and take stuff, but not preparing to move on. It's got to embrace everything that God has been bringing but continue to embrace everything yeah, that comes yeah. in the future. And that really uh, kicked, uh, in the 70s, that kicked a major, major move among Christians about, can I stay in my denomination and try and renew my denomination? Or do I need to be part of, not a restoration church, That's they, they were never called that, but do I join what God is doing here? 
which is a far greater purpose than just trying to renew my my Baptist denomination as I did. Yes. Did you feel that it was the churches that were trying to brandish it as a restoration church? Because certainly, certainly in the early eighties, yes, it was talked of. Oh, you go to a a restoration church. Well, it actually wasn't that. Initially, it was house church, house and church. it was spoken of as being somehow inferior to the Orthodox denominational church. So something was happening with where where the churches were meeting. But there's this discussion, isn't there, yes. about the ministries that we read of in Ephesians, yes, as being actually they're valid today. Yeah, yeah, that was the big thing because uh, uh, every every tradition of the church, not to go off on a tangent, but every tradition of the church would would. Uh, believe uh, what the creeds say. I believe in the apostolic church, yeah. basically the church of the apostles. The but what they mean by that is something completely different. Yes. So for a Baptist, we would say, well, we're faithful to the apostles because we have the scriptures. Others groups would say, well, we're faithful to the apostles because we have a succession of bishops. But um, one of the things, like you quite rightly said, a lot of these groups that began um, outside of the organized church began in homes. They were house, and they were branded house churches because they met in homes, yeah. but they grew. And so they didn't have these traditional structures of ministers or bishops or curates or pastors or, or a clergy laity. They didn't yeah, have yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, for that group I was at, so we said, well, what structure is there? And of course then this, this group of what were called the restorationists began to examine and come to the conclusion that the apostolic ministry, the ministry of the apostle, and the other gifts mentioned in Ephesians 4, didn't finish with the close of the 12 apostles or Paul. That that ministry actually exists now. Now that was incredibly radical because people would say, well, you're making yourself on the level with the 12 apostles or the apostle Paul. Yeah. But it, no, they're saying, no, the gift of apostle and prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher are gifts given to the church to bring, as you said, to bring the church. Their purpose is to bring the church, to serve the church, to help the church come to the fullness of Christ. And we used to say, well, I, I wasn't mentioning that at all. So for me to accept the fact that an apostle exists today, you've got to be kidding. When I began to realize in Ephesians 4, Paul says they're given until the church comes to a fullness of the faith. That until is the key word because you say, well, we're not there yet. Yeah, the very difference between the unity of the faith and the unity of the spirit yeah. are two totally different things. That's right. They? So you think, well, I, of course I am one with every believer. Yes. Uh, of course I am one with every believer in Christ, whoever they are. If, they, if they're a Roman Catholic who loves Jesus, or whether they're a high Anglican, or a brethren, or people who live in a home, I don't care who they are. If they're, if they're born again, they're my brother and sister. There's word in the spirit. But a unity of faith is not just that we all believe something. It's There's got to be some kind of a structure in which uh, it's the body of Christ. Yes, it looked look different in many, in every culture. Yes. In America or Nigeria or China or Taiwan, it looked different, but it's the same thing. 
but so much very different from just ecumenicalism where yes. churches come and join and work together isn't it this this was something far more radical to talk about oh yeah the restoration of these ministries because we can look back now and it seems as though there are so many people who would be identified as being prophetic or apostolic mm. and we will, could we could all associate with the evangelist because good old billy graham was there whether that was a model or not of an ephesians 4 it doesn't matter no. we were all happy with that and we could cope with past the teacher but you suddenly pressed upon the the recognizing of apostolic ministry that's right became something that was incendiary wasn't it yes it was easy for us to call people like billy graham quite rightly an evangelist i mean he, you've got to say i love billy graham yeah. he's got to be one of the great believers of the 20th century and of yeah. all time really yeah. but i remember him saying he said it it's quite radical he said if the church was doing its job he wouldn't be necessary yeah i mean that's the kind of man he was yeah. i think pastor then is easier as well because certain church traditions that the pastor is the the minister who does everything so and a teacher is a little bit because you know he's a great bible teacher and there have been some great bible teachers around the years but to come and say um, but we don't mean that, <laughs> that these are gifts of Christ working with real apostles and real prophets today. That was incendiary. Um, because you mentioned the ecumenical movement. There was in the 20th century. And it's, it's not so powerful today, this strong ecumenical movement, which was trying to bring across all denominational divides, some kind of common yeah, yeah. Um, purpose and some common belief. But what it did, it always reduced to the minimum, bare minimum, yes. which really was, do we even believe that Jesus is God? <laughs> do we believe that this is the Bible? And you think, well, if you can't agree on that, uh, yeah. you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. It's um, the, the gathering of, if, if we said restoration was starting to take place, mm. What, what were the key things that took place there? To, to uh, Clearly something happened which advanced that. You talked of Arthur Wallace and, and Bryn, uh, Hugh Thompson's of the, and other ministries that, yes. that, that clearly, or other, it has to be said, men who were gathered together at that time. Something took this wider because now we're talking, it, there is a global acceptance in many areas now that there's apostles, I know there's resistance, yes. but, but something happened. Was there something pivotal? In those, I guess, would it be in the seventies that that? Took I place? think the seventies was the pivotal moment. I was, I was not part. I didn't, I didn't meet uh, Kerry Jones until about, until nineteen eighty four. But we were aware of what was going on because we thought we heard that there was this, there was this grouping because uh, of people who were beginning to make waves in in the church scene, uh, which we didn't like the time because we thought we heard what's happening here really just to say again they were meeting not to disrupt the church they weren't meeting to divide the church they were looking at the scriptures and and tracing uh, what what is God doing in history and they began to look into the scriptures and uh, some key scriptures and particularly in Acts chapter 3 where Peter is addressing the, the crowd after the healing of the lame man. And he talks and he says, now, Jesus must remain in heaven 
until the restoration of all things spoken by the prophets or the times of restoration or the, when God has restored everything. So many Christians, evangelicals at the time, were what we call premillennials. They believed Jesus could come again and it was linked to the nation of Israel. And, and I think that's what I was raised in. So the idea that Jesus could come any second uh, was a big thing. But these men began to say, no, uh, they didn't gate guess when he's coming, <laughs> yeah. but they said certain things have to be in place. Then he will come when all things are restored. Then he will come. Yeah. So they began to ask, what does that word restoration mean? And what does it look like? And how does it work in our generation? And that's how it began. How do you think that, how did they spread? How was that message spread? Because clearly it did because it touched lots of lives, lots of churches. It had a huge impact. Certainly, I could only comment about the United Kingdom. Yes. Um, it was gradual because they said, well, it, it, for us, it means that we're going to have to make radical changes ourselves and uh, be brave enough to uh, say, well, let's look at the scriptures uh, and ask then on this restoration what does restoration mean? And uh, I guess we'll have to unpack that at some point, won't yeah. we? Um, then, what does that mean then uh, in the structure of the church? And how, how is that going to come? Well, key to that then is Ephesians 4, where you see that God has given these gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Not exclusively the only ones who are going to do the job because one of the big things was it's not a clergy laity. It's, yeah. the, it's the people. It's the body of Christ. It's the ordinary, everyday person who's involved in this restoration. So it's not like a passive church where the minister's doing everything, but you have these gifts along with elders and deacons in churches who are equipping the people to do, every, to do it. Which is, turns it all the way around. Yes, it's like a, the structures everywhere were a pyramid structure. Yeah. And we kind of, we, we use the illustration sometimes when we talk and say, this pyramid structure is turned and they become the arrow, the point of the arrowhead. That's right. Taking us, leading That's us right. forward. They're not, it's not a pyramid system yeah. with the apostle here and, and, the, and the people. No, it's like the arrowhead's perfect. It, they're cutting away, but we're all together and they have a specific gift. So key to this restoration is this equipping aspect of these gifts because they're given until we all reach maturity, which is linked to restoration. So then they had to make some brave decisions. Well, if these, if these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers do exist today, who are they? Yeah. Are they here now? And that was the big questions right. then that men like Arthur and Bryn Jones, men like Terry Virgo, who slightly behind that, um, we're, we're asking. And then the big thing was to say, well, if they are, and how do we recognize them? And then what do they do? So it, it was a process, but it was a process that was revolutionary because it was bound to cause an explosion in the church in the United Kingdom and later worldwide, which it did. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. And not everything was, you know, there were mistakes made, of course. But uh, the church benefits today worldwide from what all these people call themselves apostles. And it seems now, not to be too confrontational, 
but it seems anybody can be called an apostle. Yeah. Whereas in the 70s or the 80s, if you were designated or recognized as an apostle, you were, as Paul said, you were the scum of the earth. You were called everything. It's, um, maybe we can focus a little bit, hone in. We're going we're gonna to be looking at, in particular about um, all of the ministries, gifts, but that apostle, just what is it? Because it's not a chairman. It's not, it's not a, a management consultant to a church who comes in and gives a few wise words so yes. the church can take it or leave it. It, it. It's got something more, doesn't it? There's a spiritual authority. There's, there's insight, wisdom. There's a, there's a who, who appoints an apostle. Who, you've just talked about that and just said they do. And maybe some people say, well, how do you know if you're an apostle? What, yeah. what, how, do, how do you look at that? And it's not just you've been around a long time, so we'll call you that badge, as you say. Yeah. Lots of people think they are, but the reality is it doesn't match up with the biblical model of somebody who is equipping the church so that I think the phrase, certainly when I, my first contact was, the awareness that the bride of Christ, no matter how dark or troubling times we're going to be in, in the world, mm. that Jesus' church, the bride of Christ, was going to be glorious and radiant and it would be equipped by those very ministries yes. that were present. And that was like, I'd never heard of that before. So they clearly were aiming for an end product. They, 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 had, a, they had a purpose yes. uh, to do it. And yet um, they were pretty despised, these people, maybe because they thought, as you said, they self-appointed. Well, they were never self-appointed. No, they, they never were. That's key. So how would, how, just for those who might say, well, we're looking now specifically at the, the apostle, yeah. who, who recognises? How, how does that work, Roger? Well, the, an apostle basically in the New Testament, it, it just means someone who's sent on a mission. And, uh, but intrinsic in that is that they have an authority within that mission. Uh, there's a mandate, and they're given an authority by the one sending them to fulfil that mission. So Jesus had the 12 apostles that he appointed. Um, now they're unique, they stand alone. So when we talk about apostles today, they're not part of the 12 apostles. Um, even Paul was not part of that group. Yeah. Paul, you know, they, Paul was not one of the 12. Uh, of course, Paul is, 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 a, is a model that we have in the New Testament, but there are other apostles as well. There's James and there's several other apostles we see in, this, in the New Testament, because Paul was a role model. But an apostle is simply, very simply, is a man who is uh, called by God and appointed by God for a specific mission to do with the bringing the church to maturity. Okay. They're given to the body of Christ, not just a one local congregation, but to the body of Christ. Now within that, they will have what oftentimes you will hear them talk, Paul talk about my gospel, my gospel, the gospel. And they, they're given a mandate by God and a measure within that to, uh, and an authority by God to fulfill that measure, fulfill that mandate. Uh, it might be to a continent, might be to a nation, whatever it is. They, they know what it is. Now, someone does just emerge out of the ether and say, I'm an apostle. The, the intrinsic thing that you find is that, and Paul is a classic example, Paul was not a self-designated apostle. He was in the church at Antioch, uh, along with other leaders, proven men of character and gift. But God says, I, I have a mission. I, yeah. It's time to 
take the gospel and break it now into the, this Roman world. That was his mandate. Now, within that, then, he's designated an apostle. So we find there God's involved, but there's also his peers. And that's a key thing. There are peers, not yes men saying, well, Dave, we think, you know, you're, you're the clever one. Yeah. You're, you're the apostle. You're the brain. Yeah, I say that, my friend. But... <laughs> no, it's clear. Yeah. They, they didn't think, well, who is it? Who's going to be the apostle? They're just we're waiting on God. And God says, him. And, and him to go with him. So clearly you find there that it's done within a community. It's a communal thing. It's not a voting system, but there's a recognition, which we do anyway in the church, when we see that the hand of God is on that person. Clearly, Paul wasn't coming out of nowhere. He'd been a Christian a long time, and we have his history in the Acts. He'd been around a long time. And so you find... The mandate is given by God. The Holy Spirit is set apart. Paul and Barnabas for this task. He's an apostle. And he'll be an apostle the rest of his life. Yes. It's not a job. With that then, the recognition of his peers and the recognition of the community. And there's an authority with that. So they go out with an authority and you find it actually. They began to preach the gospel. They're not authoritarian. But they have the authority of the gospel, which every believer has authority. It's a sphere of authority, and it's a measure. But key, and you'll find it in Paul, and you'll find it in, in genuine apostles, the apostles that you and I work with, and the ones we know worldwide. The key thing is they're team players. They know they have a gift, but they know there are gifts they don't have. Okay, yeah. So uh, I have been recognized some years ago. Um, within the Ephesians 4 gifting as a teacher. I am not an apostle. But I, there are things I can do that an apostle can't do. Because that's why I'm here. And if you talk to the apostle that we both work with, he'll say the same thing. But there are also things that he does I cannot do. Because his function is apostolic. So it's the authority the community, the mandate, and the teamwork. And yet, and yet, Paul didn't limit himself just to that circle because he was more than willing, wasn't he, to yeah. go down and present his gospel. Yes. In many ways, uh, a dividing point where Peter's going to go to the Jews and Paul's going to yeah. go to the Gentiles. But he he submitted himself in that moment, didn't he? So that he wasn't just That's an right. independent universe operating oh. with his with his own. The, the, the orbiting around him with these other ministries, he he did go and he did submit himself to them, didn't he? Yes, apostles aren't uh, independent CEOs, as you said. They're not the head of a company. Um, they're part of the body of Christ. And you, that's a lovely example you gave. Peter, clearly, his apostolic mandate was to the Jewish people. And even though Paul was Jewish, his mandate was to the Gentile world. That's why we're yeah. here. Yeah. Um, but even though he had his gospel, because he said, he, and it's important to stress, that they receive it by revelation from the Lord Jesus. They're the gifts of Christ. They're not gifts of the Spirit. And they, they talk like that. But he said, I know my gospel. And I, uh, but I, what I want to do, I want to go to, not get it approved, but I want to go to men who are already apostolic, who I regard, and they're, part, they're, they're my colleagues, they're my they're my co-workers 
just to share with them what I believe God has called me to. That's why he did that. And that's what you'll find. There's a, uh, so the apostles that you and I work with, they're not men who are isolated from other apostles. They have a relationship with other apostolic groups all across the world because we're all part of the one body of Christ. So it's not like, which apostle are you with? You know, are you against that apostle? No, that's not how it works at all. But you say, this is where I belong, but I recognize there's an apostolic family here. Uh, and that's what they do. Yeah. Actually, it's great. It is, yeah. It is. So an apostle is somebody who's looking to say, we, we have enough, we, we've talked a number of times about Kerry and Kerry his, our relationship. Our friend, we always welcome him. He comes as our friend. He's a, a fellow believer, but he also comes as, as an apostle with, with governments, with, yes, with, with rule. And yes, he so, does. So in, in our current setting, what, what does an apostle, what, talk about that government, rule, because we've said it's not a, a pyramid. It's, it's not a power. I know what my relationship is with him. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Yes, very important. Uh, which, is a, which is a big thing. And you've just said before that apostles had certain revelation and understanding, and they shared that, that they received from the Lord. But how does it, how does it actually work? How does an apostle, the dynamic of that within the church? Well, if we understand that um, authority is, is the big thing, um, authority is a good thing. Yes, yes it is. You know, um, and there are measures and dimensions and structures of authority in the church. So every believer has authority. Yeah. It's not just, it doesn't just sit with you as an elder. Every believer has authority, whether male, female, young or old, every believer has authority. Yeah, true. And then within the church then, there are, there are measures or distinctions of authority. So a deacon will have authority. So my wife, Diane, is a deacon in the church here. I'm not. She has an authority I don't have. She's a wife and a woman. People say, well, women are put down. That's such a nonsense because they have authority. A wife has authority in the home. She's not just under the husband. Every believer has authority. And then you'll see that within the, the overall overarching structure of the nature of the church, Authority is given to the elders of the church. And that is, they are appointed by the apostles, by the apostle. But it's not like they're foisted on the people. Yeah. The people also will have to say, um, yeah, we recognize Dave uh, as an elder among us. This man is proven. And uh, we, we, it's not like vote, but there's a consultation. Yes, we agree with that. So the time comes then when an apostle then or his representative will come, and they'll lay hands on the on that person as an elder. That man now has an, a, a, an authority in the church, an authority to rule, authority to care, authority to teach. The authority is not theirs. It's a delegated authority. You say, well, who gives them that authority? Well, not the next one in the pyramid, yeah. but the next line of authority. Well, where does that authority come from? It comes from the apostles. Well, are the apostles the top of the tree? No. Because the apostle themselves, they are given that authority. So if, if a person, let's say it happened, say you brought a counsel to someone and they weren't happy with that. They said, well, what can I do about that? No, Dave has said it. 
and you didn't, I don't like it. You say, well, tough. Said, no, I'm going to go to Kerry. Yes. Well, there's hopefully plurality of elders plurality, in yes. the church. There there's, might be another there's you, elder. There's Jeff, there's Mike it? at the moment. Yeah. And, yeah. But you think, well, I'm going here. Because it's, it's not like, no. And so you have, the, you have the apostle. Now, the apostle has an authority. Um, he has the authority of Christ right from the beginning of that church, right through to its maturity. It'll, it'll be expressed in different ways. But that authority is also a safeguard. Yes. It keeps the church in the truth, and it, it keeps the people secure. And you say, well, what about the apostle then? <laughs> Whose authority is he under? Well, first of all, he's under the authority of God. You think, well, that's, that's a cop-out. Yeah, you can but he's also under the authority of fellow apostles that he works with. Yes, yes. He is subject to them. And so if there were an issue where an apostle brought something to the church and you thought, that's not in scriptures, that's not in line with the word, and he'll say, well, tough, I'm doing it. You say, no, we want to appeal to the company of apostles that you were part of. Okay. But also, with this, the apostle is, under the, is subject to the authority of the people. You need to talk about that a bit more, Roger, don't you? We do. And people don't know that, realize this, but Paul himself, I think it's in Galatians, he says, if I come to you and preach a gospel other than the one I already preached to you, then you don't allow me in. He's given the body of Christ an authority to him. Yeah. So you think, well, where's the final authority? It's all over the place. So it's not pyramidal. He's saying, I, I, I've taught you the gospel. So, for instance, say, imagine now he comes and he says, I've taught you um, the importance of baptism in water as a believer. That's my gospel. Right, we got that. We're all baptized. Then he comes along some years later and says, you know what? No, uh, you, don't get, you don't need to be baptized. You don't need to be baptized. You say, hang on a second. 30 years you've been teaching us we do. Yeah, I know, but I got this special revelation now. Thinking, no, we're forbidding you to come here. And what's more, we're now going to meet. We, we demand that we meet with the apostles that you are meeting with. Um, that hasn't happened. <laughs> I don't think it ever would happen. But it's there. And the church, the, the body of, that's why people, the body of Christ, the saints of God are really important. And that's why restoration and the equipping of, of the Ephesians 4 is for the maturity of the believers. It's not all about elders and ministries, gifts. It's about the people. It's about the body of Christ. And, um, and that's why God says, I give you that authority even to the apostolic ministry. I think it's a great thing as, as an elder in the in, in the church, mm. it's a great thing and security for the people of yeah. just a, our win. We have a plurality of elders. There sometimes, sadly, there's some churches for circumstances that are very different. They just have an elder, but the fact that they can have this nearly, um, as Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. It's a little bit like that. That yes, there is a route that we are not just trapped and have to 
being this submission, which is awful, isn't it? it, yeah. it there's, a, there's life in it and there's life joins. It's not authoritarian, but clearly though, I, I recognize and I've always said that the, uh, there was a kid's song that we taught our kids in. It was uh, the, they were trying to- They're gonna sing it for us. The apostle <laughs> is the one who knows about the church and how it grows. All oh, right. So then, this was a little phrase to try to explain to a young one. Mm. And they said, what's an apostle? And you'd always say, well, this is it. They know about that. There's a wisdom, there's an insight. They have a revelation from God. They're accessible, I, you know. They they are there to help us, yes, but they, they also. I do not, as an elder, have a right to go and start teaching an own doctrine and uh, something that which is divergent to that which the apostle does. And that is not that might seem heavy-handed, but I just would not have a right. The only thing I know I can do is, if I saw something and I had a question about it. I would come to Kerry. Kerry probably would send me to you as a recognised teacher. <laughs> but I would go. But I, in my own heart, I feel like I would go and say, I just, I can't think of something right now. But this is an area I'm not seeing that. Yeah. And I would go to be able to present it to him. And and I would have the right to ask the question. Of course yeah, I would. Of course you do. And, right. uh, and to, to be taught. And that's really a, a teacher's role comes in. The, the apostle doesn't do everything like you say before, yes. does he? But he might point me to you, but I know this, that that's, that's what the apostle is. He's not this heavy-handed authoritarian. He is a father in the house, isn't he? Yes, uh, it is. And it's, I, not, it's not like, um, I don't want to speak ill of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it's not like the magisterium, the teaching office of the Roman Catholic Church, that to be a, a Roman Catholic priest, you have to subscribe to all the official doctrine. Now, there is that aspect, that because, but it's not like, well, I can't ask a question about this. No, there's, there's progressive revelation. We're discovering more about things all the time. But within the Ephesians 4 giftings, the apostle and the prophet stand apart from the others because they're, they're called apostles of revelation. And really, um, Ephesians talks about them, that the foundation of the church is Jesus with the apostles and the prophets. That's not, that's not just the 12 apostles. An apostle and a prophet have a, a foundation. They're right at the beginning. They're bringing who Christ is, the teachings of Christ, into the church that are there. And, and it's just the way it is. Apostles, so they, sometimes we, they look like architects. They see the plan. They're master builders. They say, I know what we're building here. I know what it should look like and what it's going to look like before Jesus returns, before the restoration of all things. And you think, well, they say, it's a long-term yes. plan, but we're going to build in accordance with that. So everything they're bringing to the church in its, its age, um, its, its numbers, its location, everything is in line with that. So when they come to the church, they have this plumb line or this master plan, and they're saying, how is it lining up yeah. now? that's good or no we just need to adjust that or we've been, so all the time they're working to this and it's not a thing it's a maturity of people who are just like it's all to do with bringing a people who are come to the full maturity of the relationship in their Christ likeness it's all to do with how much we are like Jesus it's the gifts of Christ so it's not a job or a structure to make the church look good it's all to do with Jesus having a church worthy of his name. Yes. And it's all in its fullness. And really that's what drives them. 
Um, it really drives them that they want a church that really reflects who the Lord Jesus is. Not just as a savior of the world, but who he is. Yeah. <laughs> that's what Paul said in Philippians um, chapter 3, where he'd known Jesus about 20 years by then. And he just says, uh, I want to know him. He knows there's so much more. It's not like, oh yeah, my devotion wasn't done. There's so much more. This church, the church we're building, is doing great. But when you realize who he is, where we're going, Someone asked me, I said, oh, what, what do you think the church will look like just before Jesus returns? I said, well, let me give you a list. <laughs> he said, no, he said, the church will look like him. Beautiful. And that's it, really. Yeah. Apostolic revelation. Tell us just about that. It's, it sounds a big, grand thing, but yeah. what does it really mean? Yeah. Try and break that down a bit. Yeah. Um, well, we see in the New Testament that Paul talks about... Um, that he, he, he calls himself like a steward of mystery, which is kind of strange stuff. But really, it's basically when you, when you talk to them and you scratch them, um, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit downloads into them this whole um, understanding, that not the whole package at once, but this unfolding uh, that they say, these are the ingredients of uh, what my apostleship looks like. Um, you, you'll find, uh, I, get, I believe with all genuine apostles, a certain commonality in that, uh, which will be to do with the nature of God, the nature of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, um, the new birth, uh, baptism, baptism in water, things like that, which are, we will call the foundations, the important stuff. So they say, this is what I am bringing into a church when I'm laying this foundation or I'm taking on a community of people, these are the things that will be established right at the beginning. Um, uh, new birth, Jesus is Lord, water baptism, um, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, personal righteousness, which are very common things, but you scratch some churches, you, you, they even miss out on some of that. So he said, this is what we're teaching. Uh, fellowship, belonging to a community. The church is not something you attend. So it's things like very practical things that people come into and they think, well, well, well this is it. Um, the community life, the breaking of bread. Uh, all these things are very important to them. Um, evangelism, sharing your faith. And so you'll find that commonality. But not all apostles are the same. Because they, they all have different mandates. So if you talk to our friend David Lyon about his apostolic mandate, David will talk very much about every, every town, every village. Because he starts from his loca location, working out into the UK and abroad. But if you talk to someone like Kerry, Kerry will talk about nations. Now it's not that his revelation is bigger and better. They're just different. Like we... we mentioned about Terry Virgo in our private conversation. Terry was very much, uh, his, his apostolic ministry was very much based, not exclusively, he would be willing to take on groups of denominational churches, because he had a grace for that, and to bring them through into the, yes. what he was teaching. And a, a magnificent man, a, a fantastic yeah. guy. Um, 
And so they, uh, what you'll find then, so you'll find then with certain uh, parts of Delta, different emphases. So it's not the only emphasis, but you and I both know, one of the emphases that the apostle we work with, Kerry, is on the proper use of money, tithes yeah. and offerings and sowing and reaping and generous, because he knows the power of money for good. Yeah, yeah. And so you will, you will say, well, there's a flavor in the church there that you might not find emphasized somewhere else. It's not because they don't believe it. It's just, he says, I know what money can do, the power of it, and we have to learn to handle it right and steward it right and use it properly. So that's, that's, a, that's an aspect of his teaching. And so this apostolic, this mystery has very practical things because it's not, it's not like esoteric, woo, weird. It brings it, this is who Jesus is. This is what his life and ministry look like in people. Jesus is Lord means you submit your life to him, your marriage, your home, the way you work, um, reading the scriptures, um, everything, your fellowship, your reaching out. It's almost like um, the tentacles that just kind of work through the whole thing. And you say, well, where, where, where does it all come from? It comes from there. And so if you look at your, the church you're part of, it's important church in Cardiff here, which has been going through since the late 70s. They almost become invisible strands. And people will say, well, um, we don't know who, who this guy Kerry is. We don't see him, but we talk about him. You think, yes, but you see his gospel working. So why, why, why do you emphasize the righteous use of money and, and the importance of sharing your faith? Well, because that's part of the root and the ministry and the mystery that's been put in us. It becomes part of your DNA. That's very, that's very true, isn't it? Because we, if you, for Kerry, that use of the money and our heart and compassion yeah. for the poor and the needy, the I, the I cannot remember times ever where, it, whenever we used to have uh, conferences in the summer, Bible weeks as we call them, family camps, whatever yeah. name you put, our first offerings were never for our own projects or, no. or to support some people. It was always, wouldn't it? The, the first offerings in, in any of our, our conferences would be for the poor and needy because of his heart for the nations. Yes. He then has seed to be able to sow and, yes. and to help and to change lives. Yeah, very much and, so. Um, and that has been our history. And so then you find that, as you would just say, reflected in our own, in our own churches recently. We, earlier on this year, we felt the Lord saying, we need to... Take it and set aside some finance right now. Take two offerings before the winter. This was before all of our national crises in finances yeah. or or utilities, and and we've set aside and our people then generously give yes. so that there is a pot of finance that we can't do everything, but we can do something. Exactly. And and that, if we tried to trace it back, I believe would come out of his apostolic revelation of so. heart. So that's a practical outworking where we. On a personal level, I think it's what you're saying, yes. is we suddenly find that we are operating with that DNA, with the revelation, that the understanding yes. that God's given him, and he has imparted to us as, as a, a church family who are incredibly generous um, mm. by their very nature. Yeah, it's, um, I think you mentioned uh, the poor and needy. Mm. 
um, I know the apostle we work with, Kerry, very much part of his mystery is his practical application of helping the poor, helping the needy. And I've been with him on many occasions across the world. I remember being in Cuba, arriving in Cuba, just after a hurricane. Of course, they just had another one now, and I understand finance is gone. But uh, we were driving through the area, totally devastated, and thinking, what can we do? Well, because of the practical application of that mystery of Christ in, in, uh, in the churches, they tithe, they bring offerings, they're generous, they set aside. Uh, um, we were able to put a phone call through to uh, the trust that you're part of and to say, we're here. Can, can you please send some money through, wire money through, so we can get these people bread and rice yeah. and shelter and clothes. Uh, but if, if that wasn't part of the gospel, we think, well, well what can we do? So like, oh yeah, we, you know, we got the, go to the bank or it's the ordinary people thinking, I will so, we help the poor, we help the needy. And that is a facet. Now you're thinking, well, the apostle we were with, that's not such a, 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 a stress. Well, that's, that's no problem. Yeah. They will say, yeah, but we're, 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 we do a lot of education programs, we do school programs, or we're doing this or whatever, in a city working thing. Well, it's not ours is better. It's just this mystery of Christ is broken down to very practical applications that are almost invisible things in the church. You think it's a value that they bring, that the elders continue in, and the people embrace. And they think it's almost unconscious. Why? Why am I like this? Because it's a family, it's a family characteristic. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, Roger. Mm. It, uh, we need to understand that because sometimes that apostolic ministry revelation can seem way out yeah. here to our normal lives, and it helps practicalize it, doesn't it, for people to yes. understand? And it's really important because without that, we will be solely at the limitations of our local leadership. Yeah, wouldn't it? I mean, our our, our worldview. Is, is helped by having apostolic ministry in there. And we yeah. see a bigger picture that we wouldn't if we were just working in our little town or region, whatever. I think one of the important things that apostles do, and I believe all the other gifts of Christ do, the prophet, the pastor, and the evangelist, the teacher, they're all there to keep us like this. It's always, it's practical here, but it's always beyond. It's, we're part of something much bigger. We're part of something and in their different ways, they all do that. They all make the church expand, rather than just say, let's keep it, you know, myopic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to say thanks to Roger for joining us and helping open up our understanding about apostolic uh, function in the church and our relationship in particular with Kerry. Uh, join us again as we talk further on other subjects.